Hello listeners and welcome to episode 92 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the Warhammer 40k universe using whatever system is available, which right now is the in-development system called Wrath and Glory from Ulysses North America. Uh, we cover off a bit about the uh, the game itself as it's been developed each episode. So hopefully if you are joining us for the first time, you can learn a bit about what's happening in both the 40k universe and the games derived from it. Yeah. Before we jump into today's episode, let's talk about our own gaming over the past... Uh, it's actually it's less than a month since the last episode. We've been, we've been going like a, a month and a bit between each episode. There was almost a chance to try and get an extra episode in right before the end of January, so we could have actually had you know, two in one month. You know, and It was the Blue Moon month as well, but uh, it didn't happen yet. It's early February now, so uh, yeah. that's right. We, we're sort of doing less shows while we sort of focus on the development of Wrath and Glory, and I'm sure once the game system is out, we'll have a lot more to talk about. Yes. Uh, but in terms of our own gaming, I think we've only really done Dungeons & Dragons as far as role-playing is concerned, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think I might... I ran my Scion game once, and my Numenera game as well. Um, yeah, how are yeah. they going? Uh, they're going well. Yeah, Scion is now... I mean, it's five years in the game The game Is it almost now. finished? Uh, no, I'm probably... I'm over halfway now, I'd say. Um, I, I'm a little bit past the halfway point in the total storyline, but I mean, it's I broke into three story arcs, and so we're we're halfway through the second story arc. That's why I'd say it's about halfway. So, yeah, okay. although I, I feel that the last story arc will probably be a bit shorter, so it may, it may be more than halfway through in terms of time, okay. but it, it's only about halfway through in terms of story as such. So we'll see how it goes. It's a hard. It's hard to judge those no, sort of ultra powerful systems when. Yeah, it, it, it's Scion. At some stage, you just throw the rule book away because. Yeah, that it, happened. That happened a long time. It was like three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the rule system just does not. Lend look, itself towards no, it. Yeah, exactly no, right. It just doesn't. Uh, but uh, and Numenera is going well. Numenera itself is, is such a strange system. I, I mean, I really do enjoy it, but uh, it, it's sort of. You never know what to expect with Numenera, and the, I think the players. I do. Yeah. Garbage. <laughs> you don't. You don't support it. No. Is that is that because is that the old reason? Because they beat us in the in the no. awards in the first year we went to no, Denver. No, it's not. Because I've read it. No, I've tried to to get interest in it, but it's just it's just a collection of tropes that he's stolen from other books he's already written and and other. Yeah, I mean, from... I think a lot of it was the desire to have Planescape in some yeah. way reimagined you know I mean yeah and I mean honestly that's okay but if you're going to redo it redo it properly yeah if you want to redo Planescape reimagined do Planescape reimagined don't do something that takes 
some of the good bits of Planescape, but not the best bits because that, they're copyrighted to someone else. That, that um, may be a licensing issue, though. I'm not yeah, sure. Well, what, I'm not sure what what um, Monty Cook walked away from Wizards of the Coast in terms of owning when it came to Planescape. So it just feels like Planescape, but nowhere near as good. Okay, no worries. It's a, it is a very different setting, anyway. So I mean, I almost feel like the Strange is more like um, Planescape. But yeah, anyway. The group, the group I have actually quite enjoys that game because it sort of fits their gameplay style particularly. Yeah. So, oh, okay. but no, it's going right. And uh, actually, the other thing is, in the last uh, month, is we actually started our forty k narrative campaign with the war game. Yes, yes. Know? So we we had our first big battle. You know, okay. so chaos versus imperial. Yep, two players versus two players, three thousand points aside. So we, that was so imperial guard and blood angels versus slanesh or well, demon demons and empress children plus. Thousand Sons. Yeah. And it's a ca- mixed, mixed bag chaos. Exactly, yeah. And and chaos certainly carried the day in that game session. We were playing Demons the, carried the sorry, day uh, in that session. We were playing the Planet Strike rules from um, uh, Chapter Approved. And, yeah. and certainly, yeah, the, the initial uh, Planet Strike, the Firestorm attacks, had a huge impact on the, on the game. Although I found it quite funny that if you're not familiar with this rule set, it's designed to represent, you know, an invasion of a planet. And... The attacker always gets to go first. The attacker gets to bombard the planet first and take out some figures with some early sort of shooting. But what they have to do is they have to sort of divide up their forces and each game turn they have to roll to see what of their not yet arrived forces arrive. So the attacker doesn't get to put all their figures on the board at once where the defender does. Uh, and as of the rules of the 8th edition, if you haven't brought a reinforcement in by the end of the third turn, that's considered defeated. And the Thousand Suns play, I think, had two of his sorcerers just decided just not to show up. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it, it's three plus on a D6 each turn. So he'd rolled a one or a two three times in a row, and the sorcerer was just like, no. You know, the, win- the winds of fate tell me this is not my battle. I'm just going to hang around at home for this one. So, yeah. But it didn't matter. He still won it anyway. So uh, we're going to try and get in one narrative game a month at the moment and do, do, do some other stuff in the meantime so we're both you're you're back into painting your army again mike and, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah finally go, going very well i see I, I caught up with you today and you were working on your um what do you, what do you call the empress children terminators the oh, phoenix guard phoenix guard that's it yeah, yeah so looking good and I, I i as always am chopping and changing between what i'm working on so i bought my son some blood angels which i've been painting for him but then and I was working on my Raven Guard, sorry, Raven Guard, sorry, Raven Wing from Dark Angels for a while, and then I decided to build my Salamanders from Horus Heresy, so just, you know, keep Bit myself busy. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's actually as... As long as, as it's in power armor. Yeah. <laughs> as we're recording um, today, tomorrow is actually my, my birthday, so I gave my wife a list of just GW stuff <laughs> for my birthday, and I think that she sort of looked at it and went, I'm not buying any more GW stuff, I'm going to buy something else, so... But, you know, I tried... <laughs> So, and for a, for work, my work gives us gift vouchers for our birthday every year. And they said, normally it's like a, a local shopping center gift voucher. Like in Australia, we've got a chain Westfields and it's like a Westfields gift voucher. But this year, the girl that organizes it said, oh, in your birthday month, you can either take a Westfields gift voucher or you can select any other gift voucher that I can buy online or buy you that. So I said, okay, well, here you go. Get me a GW gift voucher. So she did. So... You know, I can get some more stuff from GW from the online store for stuff you can't buy in store. So, but uh, yeah, so that's our experience in gaming over the past uh, nearly a month. Yep. So today we're going to do our regular news section. A bit of news. I've actually, this is probably the most prepared I've been for an episode for a while. So since sort of we started to cover Wrath and Glory, we've been a bit free and loose with with doing these shows. You would have picked up some some big audio issues issues in the last show because. 
we started recording in one spot, then the machine we're recording on crashed. We moved to a different spot, but it's not the best room acoustically. Uh, and, you know, we're sort of just playing it by ear, what we talk about today. I'm doing it on a day where there's no kids around. We can do it in the right room for audio, for acoustics. I've cleared space on the hard drive to make sure the machine won't crash while recording. Uh, I've made notes of what we're going to be talking about. So this should be like a whole other episode, anyway, from, from what you might have been used to recently. So... Uh, I, I do apologize for some of the, the recent stuff we've done, but uh, anyway, so today we'll do the news section. Uh, then we're going to do a bit of a more detailed analysis about what's come out in the past month about Wrath and Glory, because we've had two sort of big drops of information to go through. Uh, then I sort of have this other topic I want to talk about, which I'm going to call Don't Be That Guy. Uh, or another one is um, DBAD, D-Bad, Don't Be a Dick. Um, because there's just been a couple of things in the 40k meta recently that I paid close attention to, and I thought it bears chatting about as a as a topic anyway, because it's something that happens in both role playing games and war games alike. Yeah. Uh, then we'll do a regular community section. Uh, I have got some plans for future shows. I'm going to mention during that part as well, and uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that then. So, without further ado, let's get into the the new section of the show. Yep. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial archives. So we'll start off today with talking about what we've had from Ulysses North America in the past month. Yeah. Uh, so first off, we got some more artwork. So you remember last episode we spoke about the six character images that have been put up so far, and we speculated, oh, is, this, is this the playtest group? Is this whatever, you know? But they've put up three new pictures now, so it's hard to say. It's probably just pictures they're doing. You know? So we had a, a guardsman or guardswoman in this case. Uh, so you, you've seen all three artworks, have you, Mike? Or? No, I haven't, actually. Okay, so there's, there's, there's a guardsman. There is a Skatari Ranger, and there is an Orc Boy. So, whereas the previous six were all done by the artist um, Alberto Bontempi, Bontempi, I think it was, yeah? Uh, he did two of these, but we've actually got art from a new artist. The um, Orc Boy was done by an artist named Florian Stitz. Um, and, uh, yeah, so once again, the good artwork. Uh, I have seen people talking about the fact that they're not grim, dark enough, you know, but they're still obviously they're clearly 40k things as such, you know it's a bit hard to look at a picture of a Skatari Ranger and say it's anything other than a member of the Cult of Mars. Yeah, I, I mean if you have a look at an Orc Boy, it's an Orc Boy I mean how much more grim dark can you really make it? I suppose yeah. you can make it dirtier <laughs> That's it. I, I did like some of the comments that went along with the Imperial Guardsman so like, I think the original post said something like it's not not necessarily the heart of the Imperium, but certainly it's tough out of rind, you know <laughs> That's <laughs> what the Imperial Guard is. But uh, the other thing was that someone noticed that uh, on the Guardswoman's armor was scrawled Creed Lives. Uh, and of course, Creed's one of those characters where in the storyline, he's disappeared during the fall of Cadia. Uh, but he is still a model option in 8th edition. So a lot of characters who have been killed off during the course of the storyline don't appear with rules in 8th edition outside of the index books. Yeah, uh, but Creed is still in the main book, you know, and uh, so he's still a viable option in the in the war game, despite the storyline having him dead. We're not well, de- dis- possibly, yeah, yeah dead. missing missing sense of all of Cadia, but yeah, this particular guardsman has had uh, Creed lives, and um, you know, someone basically posted, oh, "I love the fact it's got Creed lives," you know, fantastic, you know, ten out of ten, and then someone else replied back with, "This guardsman doesn't have a bayonet fitted, zero out of ten. Should <laughs> 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 you know, fixed bayonets." It's a requirement, apparently. So, yes, yep. <laughs> but it was just funny stuff going back and forth. But uh, no, certainly nice artwork, and you know, our, and our first look at a non-human option in the form of an orc boy. You know, we have spoken about the fact that, yeah, you know, Ross has mentioned in interviews in the past he wants to do more with 
other races as well. So we've actually until seen... I see my gaunt options, I'm yeah. just not happy. <laughs> a gaunt scholar, yes, yeah, all that, Mike. You don't want to have a <laughs> Hormigan Inquisitor. Because <laughs> we don't know, like you know, whether like so. It, some game systems, like you look at D and D, you've got a race and a class. So you yeah. have like you know a human fighter, you have an elven fighter, you know a human mage, elven mage, etc. We don't know yet whether it's a case of you've got like human warrior, for example. Are or, you talking or, about OCCs and RCCs? I, <laughs> don't get started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so you know, is like is orc boy a class or is it like orc race plus something else? You know, is done as an orc boy? We don't know yet, but uh, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see a non-human option appearing in the artwork as well. Yeah. Um, okay, then we also saw uh, an interview from Ross on uh, YouTube. So this was th- there was a two-part video that was all about what uh, Ulysses are working on at the moment. It's done at the office in um, Idstein in, in Germany. And uh, so the first video was more focused on other properties they're working on, such as the Dark Eye. The second video, which we posted on our Facebook page, was the first half about Torg Eternity, which was being done by Ross. And the second half was all about Wrath and Glory. Uh, so I, I won't get too much what's in the video. It's already pretty much covered what we already know so far. Uh, I think that the uh, so the uh, the girl doing the interview was actually one of the that she played in the same playtest game that I played in when I was in Germany, and she made reference to that game as well. And she uh, made mention of one of the parts of the system in forms in, in terms of the cards. And Ross is sort of like, oh yeah, no, we're not talking about that yet. So you know, maybe watch that video if you want to get like a sneak peek about something that's uh, not necessarily as as out there as it was originally intended as well but certainly um ross made it very clear in the video they've got a very strategic path about how they're releasing information about this game because i think they were taking uh questions during the live stream from uh watchers and one person's basically asked like you know just give us a tidbit like give us one example of the system that we can you know take away from this video with and ross has sort of said look i'd love to but we have a very specific method of how releasing data so you'll have to have to wait and see but uh certainly it was a good interview and worth checking out. Uh, then we also saw the designer diary for February, which came out um, last week, uh, which we will cover in the main part of the show today. We're not going to talk too much about it here. Uh, but that actually led to an interesting thing I saw as well on Facebook, where when the link to the designer diary was posted on Facebook, a few people respond. Like, there's always the first few comments of people just tagging their friends they see the original post. But then the person came up and basically said um, that he was he and his group were were actually quite disappointed by some of the reveals about Wrath and Glory because they felt it was moving away from the 40k that they knew and loved. And, and I don't want to put anything down on the person because the whole conversation line that went on this person was always very respectful. You know that they they clearly had a strong opinion, but you know when they were asked questions, they answered the questions with why they felt certain ways, um, and they stated. This is why I feel this way, and there was no sort of personal attack. So I, I thought it was it was like probably like a twenty message deep conversation where Ross jumped in as well, and one of the other guys from Ulysses jumped in, and other people jumped in as well. But so let's just quickly talk about it too, because the the crux of the conversation was that um, this guy's been playing the Warhammer role playing system since the eighties when the original Warhammer Fantasy role play came out. Yeah, and uh, he was sort of bring out the fact that it's been it's a pretty big change to go from a percentile system, which you had in the GW and Hogshead edition of, of etc. of Fantasy, of Warhammer Fantasy, and then you had it in Dark Heresy, Road Trader, etc., and take that over to a dice pool system. Um, that you know, because of the the length of that, 
I guess, rules mechanic meant that it was a key part of the 40k gaming experience. Or the, so this is called the Warhammer gaming experience. Yeah. And that to pick up a different mechanic um, for the sake of being different was not going to you know inspire him or his friends to, to buy the game, basically. Yeah, but is it just to be different or is it because a percentile system has inherent flaws of a percentile system? Oh, look, I mean, so any system has mathematical flaws. Oh, they you know, all it's, do. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. it's always going to be the case. And I look at it this way. So uh, imagine there's a game system you really, really love playing, okay? And you, and you always play that game system. You, know, you might find that you don't think it's the best game system, but you like the setting, you know? So um, let's just say you really like Scion. You really enjoyed Scion. And we've already established in this podcast that we're not a big fan of the Scion system, but, you know, you play it and you love the game. And then the game system gets retired, okay? And you want to keep playing that setting. There are people out there, like myself, I think, I don't know about you, I think, I think you might be more this way as well, who will say, if I'm going to play that game, even though it's retired, if I'm going to play it, I'm going to play it with the rules that have been given to me. I'm going to play with even that bad rule set. And there's people out there who go, since they've discontinued the game, I'm no longer tied to that rule set. I can go and grab any other system I quite like. I might use Fate Core or Cortex or GURPS or... Um, whatever other game system I like, and I will just run that game system in the setting I like because at the end of the day, it's a setting that matters more than the system. I mean, where do you fall on that that spectrum, Mike? It depends on the game. It depends on the game, yeah. So, for example, say I was playing a Forgotten Realms game. Yeah. And I decided I don't want to play it in the Forgotten Realms rule set anymore. I yep. want to use something more complicated, something needlessly more complicated. I'm going to grab the, I don't know. Uh, pick a game system. Pick a generic one. I don't know. Just GURPS. Uh, GURPS. Okay. I'm going to play it with GURPS system. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there is analogies of elves in GURPS, which you can just customise a little bit for their culture or whatever to make it fit. Yeah. That's okay. The problem comes with something like Scion where there are specific godlike abilities, then you go, I'm going to run this with the D&D system. Yeah. You then have to go through and work out how to turn those powers into feats or skills or special abilities of the class or whatever it might be. And that isn't really viable. Yeah. Um, so I think it depends a lot on the game. The, well, the, the more complicated the game original game was the harder it is to port that into something that's more simplistic. Let me give you a, a, a good example, okay? So, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk 2020. Yeah. You know, it's been around since the early 90s, would you say, Mike? Or like, 92, maybe? Or even earlier, maybe? I don't, I don't know. I, it was earlier than that, yeah. yeah I, mean, if you eight, to, if I you think it was like Cyberpunk 2010, was the, or 2012, whatever 2013 was the yeah, first one. Right, yeah. I think that was mid-80s. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, that was the original Art Saurian system by Mike Pondsmith that, you know, stuck all the way through to the later part of the 2020 edition. Um, you know, it was used in a couple of other games as well, but it was endemic to, you know, the whole, what they call the Friday Night Firefight and Saturday Night Shootout rules were, you know, were designed around Cyberpunk. And they were, I think, a relatively simplistic system, which is pretty much a dice plus an attribute plus a skill equals a total number, you know. Uh, and then later on, um, when the Artel Saurian stuff was picked up by another developer, a developer who'd been working on games like Mechton Zeta and the Bubblegum Crisis RPG, derived from anime, um, they tried to adapt in the Cyberpunk system, 
and it never really gathered steam. That's because they um, changed the setting too much. Yeah, and then we also had yeah the third edition Cyberpunk as well, where oh. it was once again a completely new system and you know, affected the setting, and it just that that was the death of Cyberpunk. You know, any any sort of ambiguity there was between who loved Cyberpunk and who loved Shadowrun, Shadowrun sort of yeah you know, sort of won that encounter as such. You know, but uh, and Cyberpunk was a very good for its day and extremely mechanically adept system. A lot of options, a lot of sort of you know a lot of things in the system that really fed the game like it was really from my memory and I'm sure there'll be other older gamers out there who know other systems but from my memory it was the first life path character creation system I ever dealt with for example yeah. um, and, and yeah, the life path was one of the main things I actually brought across into things like Mechton Zeta and Babylon Crisis but uh, still it's just a case of it was a game system it was a game which was killed by the change in system but you know, other things like look at um, Marvel superhero role playing every single edition of a Marvel role playing game has had a completely unique system from any other game, any any other game in you know from that setting as such, like including the one they did that had no dice. It was all just resource management with, with gems basically with you know, glass beads. Yeah. Uh, so look, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think that it's the death of a game. No. But it has in the past. So that I can point to games in the past where huge changes in the system, even if the setting has remained fundamentally the same. Has, it, it has not worked out well for the game. Yeah. Now, I don't get the impression that that's the case here, and I'll, I'll tell you why. This is because Games Workshop are always heavily involved in these sorts of projects. That They are not a, here's a license, go and do what you want with it, and we'll just make money at the end of the day. Yeah, we'll, we'll just pick up the pieces. You know, yeah, they have, there is a, there's always a licensing coordinator who works with the licensee to ensure that the product meets the sort of standards and, and levels that they expect. Secondly, we already know from the very first interview that was given about Wrath and Glory that one of their target states was to have the game feel 40k, but also feel distinct from its predecessors. So you know, we don't know whether, you know, literally Ulysses might have been told by GW, you know, it has to be a unique system. You know, it, it's could be a it's could be a, a games workshop decision. I don't, you know, I don't know. We don't know, but it's just one thing that you know that could happen given what we've seen sort of GW working in the past. I mean, they didn't want originally a generic 40K role-playing set. They wanted a, like a, a snippet of society at a time when they did the stuff with FFG. Now we're looking at a more generic role-playing set. So, uh, you know, the company changes over times, the ideas change over times. I'm sure there are plenty of people today who don't play with a 40K miniatures game anymore who will point to things about it today and say, look, that's why I don't play it anymore. You know, it's, it's not what it was when I used to play it in the 80s slash 90s slash early yeah, I mean, you're always going to have people which pick a certain edition. They say, no, that's the edition that I love and yeah. that's what I'm going to stick with. And that's not wrong. The, 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 that person is not wrong to do that because like any sort of game or hobby, no one can be compelled to enjoy it. Exactly. So it, it, it's, exactly. You know, it's, I think one of the things that I took away from changing of the system was i remember we had an interview with tim yep back when he brought out the last edition of dark heresy oh, yeah, second, ed, yep, second ed and one of the statements that he made was they got together and they had a big powwow and a discussion and one of the core things they decided right away at the beginning was it has to be percentile system yeah percentile system is we well, that's true. When they changed from first to second, they, they had some more leeway in terms of what they were going to do with the system. Yeah, and, and they said, no, we're going to keep it percentile because that's the vision we have for it. Yeah. That isn't necessarily right or wrong. That's just what they decided at the time. 
And moving forward, Ross has taken a look and he said, no, percentile system works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. I feel that this system will give me better control over the outcomes of whatever it is I'm doing with the system. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be very good mechanical reasons why he's decided not to use a percentile system. Until we see the system, we don't know. Yeah, so... And at the end of the day, if you don't like it, change it. Yeah, I mean, that's it. There's, there's, at the end of the day, we will probably see the the meta plot storyline develop through Wrath and Glory. And at the end of the day, if you want to take that storyline, you know, the Dark Imperium storyline, and play it using Dark Heresy, Road Trader, whatever, there's no reason you can't do that. It's the beauty of role-playing games is, you know, that rule zero is always, you know, the rules get thrown out the window the moment they get in the, get in the way of you having a good time. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I do I'm not saying any, either any person in that conversation was right. I just found it interesting. Oh, that, yeah. You know, it, was, it's certainly a discussion that needs to be had yeah. uh, amongst your players. Because some people are just... We have a particular player in our group who struggles with any system changes to any game. Yeah. He can handle D&D. And really, that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any other game play, any other game we play, we're constantly telling him what to roll. Yeah. Even for the most basic of things. It's just the way some people are. Some people just don't pick up new systems or don't want to pick up new systems. Yeah, I mean, and that, it comes down to personality. I mean, that, that particular... So that player doesn't actually... We never listen to this show. So I can I can ha- happily say this is the sort of person who, if whenever a studio makes a remake of a film, okay, doesn't matter... Without even seeing the, the remake, he'll straight away say, no, nah, it's terrible. It's going to be crap because it'll never be, it'll never be as good as the original. Um, Even if the original was absolute garbage, yeah, and yes. and it's not it's not like it's a it's based on any sort of you know empirical evidence. It's simply just I know what I like, and if you're into something different to what I like, then I know I don't like that. <laughs> so I remember the conversation we had just a few days ago yes. with him about um, the new Inquisitor Martyr game. Yeah, well, and, it, and he said, "Oh, what is it? Is it like first person sure? No, it's like Diablo. Oh, it's garbage." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you like Diablo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it, anything which is like, you know, taking something I like a bit different means ergo equals I don't like it. Yes. Because it's different, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Uh, but anyway, it's just, it's just a different structure from folks. That, 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 that person, I, I, whereas the person who posted on Facebook was very respectful, and I will say, you know, I, I, I agree with how he reached his opinions, you know. The other person we're talking about here... I'll say, no, nah, he's being he's being a, a turd. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, <laughs> let's let's keep going. Uh, okay, so we move on from. Um, oh, so the other thing that came out with Wrath and Glory was actually literally today, as we're recording the show, was uh, Ross posted on to Facebook and Twitter that uh, actually uh, Kaiser from Eagle Ordinary yep. has done a little two page comic for Wrath and Glory, which is actually an example of play or an example of. The dice mechanic resolution system. Yes. So we've learned a few new things. Very, very basic. Very basic. But we'll we'll move. We'll extend that conversation into our next component as well. So we'll come back to that and we'll we'll move on. Okay. I actually spent some time this morning catching up on what we've seen so far from Cubicle Seven. Yes. In terms of the the fantasy side as well. So I thought we may as well touch on that too. Um, So first off, if you go to their website, they actually have separate pages for Warhammer: Age of Sigmar role playing. And Warhammer Fantasy role-playing. So on the Warhammer Fantasy side, there's a lot more information there. So first off, they have re-released the whole first and second edition rule sets on Drive-Thru RPG. 
and they made some they alluded towards cleaning some things up as well on the second as well so second edition Warhammer fantasy role playing is effectively playable right now you know it is a available and supported product not as physical books but certainly the PDFs are there well, on drive through RPG I think you can do print on demand for yeah that's well. it yeah. so you've got the option there you can you can say literally hey guys we're going to start a Warhammer fantasy role playing game today and I can pick up second ed and start running with it straight away if I don't own the books it's interesting that they've done nothing with the third ed stuff, um, which was the, the Fantasy Flight Games edition, because... I have to say, I didn't think much of that edition, though. I, I mean, I can see probably why there's not much point in doing print on demand, because it, it is a game setting which or game system which requires its physical objects. You need the card decks, you need the special colored dice, you need the sort of character folios, so exactly. it's hard to deliver as a PDF sort of game and, and have it that way. So, But, you know, first and second edition are up there. But they have said that 4th edition, which they've announced they will be doing a core book and a starter box set for, should be out mid-2018. So I'm, I'm probably saying that that'll be a, around a, a Gen Con launch. Gen Con well. release, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. So Gen Con housing goes on sale in three days, so I'll be making sure I jump on to try and get... <laughs> Hotel space in general, because that, that, that'll, really, that'll judge whether I can go, because if I can't get into the housing space, I've got to pay off the rack, and pretty much, it, it costs more than it costs to fly to America to actually stay there for a week as well. Yeah. But uh, I do hope to go along, and certainly, although we've had no luck reaching the Cubicle 7 guys via email, if they're there at Gen Con, I will certainly be going to their booth and seeing what we can sort of find out about the fantasy site. Yeah, and punching them for not replying to our emails. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what their what their rules what their rules of engagement. No, are. in other words, you don't know how big they are. That's no. It, look, it? I mean, I, I get the impression they're relatively small, but I think what it is is that no. I mean, so... physically big as oh, physically, you can punch them. I'm physically big. <laughs> uh, no, what I'm getting at is that um, uh, there's been very little information given about it so far. Literally, here is the box art for the new editions, and we're doing one in mid 2018. That's it. We know nothing more than that. Um, so they may they may not reply because there's nothing they can say other than to confirm or deny that they are working on a game. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but I get the impression just from the way I read it and the fact that the artwork they've included for the new edition is an homage to the artwork from second and first edition as well. It feels like it'll be a update of that same percentile career based system we saw in first and second edition, basically. Yeah. Um, now when it comes to Warhammer Age of Sigma. There's no information. Pretty much all their website says is, we'll be available in 2018. That's right. all we know. That's literally it. So, okay. um, you know, they certainly haven't been as forthcoming with information as Ulysses have, especially given that Ulysses picked up or the, 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 announce, the announcement of the acquisition of the license was after the Cubicle 7 announcement. So they've had less time to produce more stuff. But, you know, we don't know what, what the workload is involved with both companies. Yeah. Okay, so talking about uh, GW in general... Um, I should probably mention up front that the big sort of thing going on in the GW meta in general right now is malign importance for Age of Sigma. Yes. Um, now, we're not going to cover that in this show. You know, there are other Warhammer Fantasy, um, either the miniatures or, or RPG podcasts out there. I think the Small Bit Wishes podcast is still around these days on the D20 Radio Network. Uh, so you know, we'll leave it to them to cover the meta plot development behind malign importance uh, and we'll focus on the 40k stuff i'll still mention what's happening with the rpgs but i'm not going to go into the whole how the fantasy storylines develop because to be honest mike i really haven't followed the fantasy storyline 
enough to be able to speak with the same level of authority that I try to when it comes to 40k. Yeah, yeah that's fair enough. Um, but I will say one thing though, is that so I haven't I haven't collected or played fantasy since first or second edition. You know, since since, since I got burned by my entire dwarf army being sold by mistake. Uh, that's it. I mean, I've got a few Chaos Dwarves still sitting around in boxes uh, and a few Bretonians. Chaos Dwarves um, are worth a fortune. Flog my little Byz- flog my Byzantine hats and their, yeah. their giant cannons. Yeah, yeah. I've, got, I've also got I've got a few uh, Bretonians and I've got the book, the first ed book for Wood Elves. Oh, second ed book, I'm not sure which one it is. I think it was um, like fourth edition when we were playing, really? actually. Really? Yeah. Was that late? Oh, okay. No yeah, because they went it's, through three editions when they, before when they, second edition of, of yeah. 40k came out. It was when they introduced Orion into the Wood Elves. As one oh, of yeah, that, that was like fourth edition. Really? Okay, no worries. Um, anyway, uh, so I haven't played since then. I've had not really followed the, the fantasy meta. Uh, but at the um, recent... What recent event was it? It might have been the start of the LVA, maybe? They, when, when did they announce the new stuff about Daughters of Cain? I think it was the start of the LVO, yeah. Yeah, it might have been around there. So they, they had a big announcement saying that... Because um, they've basically taken elves out of the meta currently in, in fantasy. And it pretty much came down to Slanesh eating all their souls. Uh, but they have reintroduced now the Daughters of Cain. It's pretty much the Dark Elves as an army of order under the basis that Malekith has pretty much reunited all the elf factions into a single... Not necessarily good, but certainly like, you know, given that in fantasy you've got the factions of... Order, chaos, destruction, and death. death. Uh, you know that, that out of those, order to me is the only one that really sounds like it might be good. You know, between de- death, destruction, and chaos, none of those really sound like they are. You know, um, pro-life, pro-choice people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, anyway. So it's interesting that they, they've sort of brought the dark elves into the same group faction as groups you know like like the, the storm storm host whatever it's called what are they yeah, yeah whatever the, whatever the storm cast storm casts um so i've actually have briefly considered actually giving um age of sigma a look like this in the war game only on the basis that when i go into that stores too much money yes <laughs> that's without saying it's my when you when you told me today that, that, that when you used to work for GW because I I never got employee discounts when I worked there you know when you worked there you were saying you were getting like 75% off was like the employee discount but the first time my brain started from my account was let's just see if I drop down from my current job to what a <laughs> GW manager gets but I got 75% off GW purchases would I be better off <laughs> answer was no but uh, <laughs> but yeah uh, but uh, what, getting back to it um uh, yeah, I'm I looking at when I go into gaming stores like non-GW stores especially where they actually have a lot more tournaments there seems to be more Age of Sigma play going on than 40k it's easier uh, to pick up yeah it, it is I'll be honest I mean I, I love 40k and everything but Age of Sigma is just an easier game to yeah play. have you seen I think it's called Path have you seen this Path to Glory supplement they have where pretty much you can literally just buy a box and start playing with your friends. Like everyone just buys a box and plays with the smallest possible attachment. And as you add more to your armies, you can grow the scope of yeah. what you're playing with as such. You know, allows you to really, really get up into it. And, and the fact that a lot of armies now are built around single big monster, small group of troops. Like the old sort of having a thousand skeletons on the board, you know, or a 600 skaven is not hey, really I, the... I used to be a vampire counts player. <laughs> I know full well about the joys of moving seven big blocks of skeletons and zombies across the field very slowly. That's it. <laughs> so, look, I mean, 
I, I was tempted, but it, it was, they're not out yet, so it's not like I've really faced real temptation. It's more like being the I've been tempted by the concept of giving it a look. Uh, but that being said, right now I'm actively working on for 40k Craftworld Eldar, Dark Angels, Salamanders, Ultramarines, Imperial Guard, Sisters of Battle, uh, and Alpha Legion. Yeah. So I probably don't need another more, force. more stuff to buy and paint. No, no, <laughs> you don't, really don't. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just not getting through you know, any large. Look, I, I got through a lot of Imperial Guard painting when I was on holidays recently, so I needed to sort of. Uh, it's good. I because well, well, I only took Imperial Guard with me. I took Imperial Guard in my paint, so that's all I could paint. Where I'm at home, you know, I can go. Oh, I don't want to paint this, and I'm going to go paint this instead. But the other thing is, I've, I've got too many forces that are all black, like because I've got I've got the Raven Wing in my Dark Angels, and I've got Ulthway Eldar, uh, and I've got Death Watch as well, and it's like. Painting all black is boring because you know it's like okay, it's black and a highlight of um, Eshin Grey and a highlight of Dawnstone. That's it. It's nothing more exciting than that. You know, so that's why when I did the black um, knight recently, I did I tried to do it with a like a dark reaper and Fenrisian Grey, like the blue highlighting. I thought that looked that that was just something to break it up, make it look more interesting. So less boring for you. Exactly right. Yes, just different. All right, so that's the the GW side. Um, oh, well, I will say, sorry, on, on the GW uh, 40K side, uh, we've seen announcements once again at the LVO that we're really getting a bit of a, a Xenos update uh, in terms of the codexes. We're going to see Tau, Necrons, and Dark Eldar soon. Um, yep. So that's a, I mean, a lot of people are inquiring out for those. I'm still amazed they haven't done Orcs yet. Like, Orcs just seems like such a major faction. You know, I think they Releasing ones which aren't going to see a lot of model updates at the moment. Okay. Because yep. I foresee an orc release yep. with a major orc model update. Okay. Because you look at the orc boys models. Yeah. For a start, they're tiny. And second, I think they came out with fourth edition. Yeah. And third or fourth they're the, they're the version of the packaging where they have like the, they're all the figures are standing on like scenery. Yeah, because yeah. like the current packaging is like the black background, which just you see the models. Whereas the old yeah. one, where you had like the yeah. the, the water on scenery. The yeah, I'm pretty sure they're, they're third or fourth edition models, so they're turn of the century. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it sound so when you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make it sound old. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, really, they need updates, yeah. well, especially for the size. I mean, Imperial Guardsmen are now taller than Orcs if you get some of the new Imperial Guardsmen models, yeah. which is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, let, let's be honest. Um, so, yeah, I'm hopeful that we'll see a big Orc release. Big yeah. Orc release. Yeah. I'd love to see Orcs get some love. Yeah, that's it. You don't play Orcs in the wild. Not personally see some Orcs get some love. <laughs> but, like, see the models get some love. Whatever you whatever means in your own time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, uh, the other thing that's happened in the 40k world recently, well, I guess it affected the the agency world, but I only followed up from the 40k side was the LVO, the Las Vegas Open, which yep. was obviously in Las Vegas in the past couple of weeks, one of the really big tournaments in the ITC championships. Uh, and it was interesting to, to follow, actually. So Frontline Gaming covered most of the streaming for it, and there were certainly a few sort of real fan favorites they really they really tracked. Very interesting scoring system as well. Like you can set, you can lose games and still advance depending upon how you've scored. And I have to say, I did like the scoring system that they used. Well, and in the end, the final, one point in it, you know, literally one point was the difference between the the, the victor and the loser in the final game of the of the whole tournament. You know, so um, yeah, to have something that close, I think, is really good. The only thing I think was that if you look at the top eight lists, they're the, very samey. Well, there was, it was it was either Anari or Blood Angels. Now that being said, 
the Blood Angels just weren't all pure Blood Angels. They were mostly Blood Angels plus Imperial Guard. But, you know, it, it is, I think, a problem in the meta when, you know, they said the top eight are represented by only two factions. Yeah, you uh, keep, when, when you start seeing the same thing over and over and over again, it makes And, and that's the thing, like, literally, in the final, one of the players had literally said that his list was almost a copy of the other list. It was a mirror match, they called it. You know, it was just the, the two guys doing an Ari. And, and because there is not... I mean, so one of the, the guy that runs the GW store near us went down to a major convention in Australia called Can, CanCon in Canberra a couple of weekends ago, which is where they had the big 40K tournament as well. And, and he lost four out of five games. And he basically said that he took a fluffy army and he was playing against competitive armies. And like 80% of the armies were there were competitive. Not not about what's cool, what I want to build, what I want to paint. Like, what can I take just to really... Well, in competitive game tournaments, that's what you're going to yeah. get. I mean, and there's an interesting article I read about, you know, is having cash prizes for playing 40K a bad idea? Does that lead to these sorts of problems? And we're going to talk about the whole, you know... Um, yeah. Don't be that guy thing. It was really derived from an event at the LVO. That's what I wanted to well, sort of talk about. So As soon as you start bringing money into the equation, of course you're going to have these situations. Yeah. I mean, people want to go play and have fun, and they do that at their friendly clubs or with friends or at the store or whatever. Yeah. But when you go to a tournament with a cash prize, there is an incentive to play the best army you've got, regardless of whether it's fluffy or not in a way that is guaranteed to win. Yeah. Because you receive a monetary reward at the end for doing so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even when we when we play here at home, like I, um, I'll happily play out a game I'm losing in. Yeah. You know, I, I don't mind running it to the end. And the only time I'll actually say, okay, I concede, is if I can tell that I'm not going to win and the time has gotten away from us. Like I've got to stop and actually yeah. put the kids to bed or whatever. Otherwise, I'll happily stay up. You know, I'll, I'll play until I'm wiped off the table. You know, in the in the sixth turn, if it, that's actually going to be the fault, because I enjoy playing the game even when I'm losing. When we played that narrative game recently, you know, where it was myself and another guy named James versus you and Steve, um, once it was clear that we were losing, James lost all interest in the game. Like he was sitting yeah. down playing on his phone and just getting up to move when he had to move or roll dice when he had to when he had to roll dice. Like he. Uh, and I sort of th- feel like, oh, you know, I mean, I play these games to have fun. And I, you know, have fun when I win or lose because I, I learn something when I win or lose. I learn what figures work well. Um, I mean, I've almost, I, I've, I've seen one guy uh, online who does this thing where every time he does a battle, he works out what was his, what was his figure of the match. Okay, I'm definitely keeping that guy in my next list. He's definitely in my next list because he did the most of this match. And what was my useless figure of this match? Okay, I'm taking him out for my next list. Yeah. That way, it's not just like make make a good list and always play that. It's like every game, yeah. develop you know develop play with different things, try different things, and I enjoy like, trying out different forces and such. You know, so I was saying the other day that I've got like over four thousand points of Elder. I haven't played an Elder game once. <laughs> I need to get in the run and make sure. I might go. I hate these guys. This is not my play style at all. But yeah. well, I've still got my tunes. I haven't I haven't touched my tunes since sixth edition or fifth. Sixth, Sixth edition. Okay. I think. Yeah. I've been adding models to the army since then, yeah. but I haven't actually played. And, the, and you've got models you wouldn't even play now, haven't you? You've got models you wouldn't put on the board because oh. they're just so old and decrepit. And... I've got yeah, second edition Carnifexes. I've got five of them. The okay. old Screamer Killer card. Yeah, which they're on like a forty ugly... base or something, aren't they? Or... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're ugly models. They got a terrible loadout. Yeah, really, okay. of, of what they're equipped with, you'd have to. To make them actually viable to use points-wise and effectiveness, you'd have to say, oh, it's actually got this, 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 and this. Nah. 
Yeah. Now, to be honest, there's loads of stuff in the Tunic army I'd just ditch. Yeah. And replace with other things, but that's an expense I don't really want to deal with while I'm trying to put together my Chaos army. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more a bit later on, but the other thing I was going to mention on the GW side, and I, 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 I quite enjoyed this, was that there was a video posted called Reset the Clock yeah. by GW in the past week uh, that it had Duncan Rhodes you know, from Warhammer TV. I don't know who the other guy was, but uh, it was a tongue-in-cheek video where it's you know, two GW guys sitting in their office um, and one of them is like reading Facebook comments and it's like read someone basically saying, oh, when are you guys going to bring back squats? So he's like, oh, someone's mentioned squats. Okay, Duncan, we're going to go reset the clock, you know, and they go back and just, they have all these clocks on the walls with different things laid under them and they go to wind the squat clock back to back to one past midnight, you know, so implying that I guess when it goes around to midnight, they actually will release them again. Uh, and then the clock drops off the wall and smashes and they're like, okay, what happens now? And then it goes into the fact that they're releasing a squat miniature for Necromunda yeah. as, a, as a bounty hunter, which I, 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 I like the fact that they could poke fun at the, you know, the way that the... the the fan fans talk about the game system and because what it's led to a huge discussion of is the fact that the second clock on the wall in the video was for plastic sisters of battle and it was shown at five minutes to midnight implying that they're just around the corner but of course now that the whole you know fan base is talking about it surely it's going to go back wind back to one past midnight again exactly <laughs> but um, it was just I, I like the way that that's what you know it was it was it was purposefully done to stimulate you know fan conversation and everything yeah, I think they've done a lot better with their fan interaction. Hmm. Um, in regards to squats, for those who haven't read the... the I think it was Travis Johnson? Wrote a lov- Ian Watson? Or no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. He wrote a lovely piece about the reason why squats were taken out in the first place. Oh, okay. I don't think I've actually read that one. So. Um, I'll, I'll find the link and, and I'll post to you, but it essentially okay. wrote a long piece about why they took squats out, and it came down to the fact that when second edition was released, they should have taken them out then. Yep. They left them in. And every time they got around to doing squats, no one felt any love for them. Yep. So they just do something that they were interested in releasing. And it came to the fact that really there was nothing that set squats apart from anything else. They were just sort of a lame pull of spaced walls. Yeah. Nothing unique about them. But nothing were... special. I found, nothing them interesting. Interesting. I found them interesting in Epic. Well, that's it. It actually mentions Epic, and it specifically says their playstyle in Epic was very different from any other army with their giant engines and all this sort of stuff, which is why they got so much love in Epic, but none in Fantasy, because in in, in 40K, they were just more of the same. They were just Imperial Guard who were short with better gear. Yeah, and trikes Um, rather than bikes. Trikes rather than bikes. (laughs) They had nothing that made them interesting to the developers. Yeah. And if, you know, you're the developer and you've got to create models and you've got to have some sort of inspiration and love for it, or you're just not going to do a good job. And look, I'm, I'm sure the fans out there, they're going, well, who, I'm going to get squats now. They're going to be the best army. They're going to have the best rules. They, the, the people that want to buy squats are the fan of what fans of what squats are. Yeah. And what they look like and what they were in the sort of storyline. Yeah, I mean, so. they may bring them back, yeah. but I would not hold out any hope. I, mean, I think it's a better chance of getting plastic scissors a battle. Frankly, absolutely, <laughs> it, absolutely, definite demand there. So, I just uh, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the video. I think I thought it was good. Oh, yeah, yeah. yes. um, and some of the, the, the really really poor acting it was hilarious too. You know, so, these guys clearly acting is not their gig. No, so. definitely not. <laughs> uh, all right, so the last bit of news, and we've been dragging on now for nearly forty minutes of news alone, uh, just on the computer game side. So, if you've been following the development of uh, Inquisitor Marta, which I 
many episodes ago was panning. Now I'm really enjoying playing it in the Steam Early Access. Um, if you've got the most recent issue of White Dwarf, the February issue, it actually came with a code to access three unique missions of um, Marta, but also with a code for a 50% discount to purchase it. So uh, if you were looking, giving it a look and you like reading White Dwarf, that's a good opportunity to sort of get a, get a discount on it too. Um, uh, we also saw announcements about uh, Tindalos Interactive through um, Focus Home Interactive are, all, are now doing Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2. Yeah. 14 uh, factions. 14 there, factions, yeah. yeah that's it. Which Apparently, is essentially everyone, I suppose. Yeah, well, they tweeted, I think it was actually this morning, they tweeted they're getting ready for some big um, event for it at the moment as well. So I don't know if it's some sort yeah. of games convention, but they're going to be giving more information. And also, I've seen this, they're doing a new Space Hulk game. So unlike... Space Turn-based Hulk. as well. Yeah, so unlike Space Hulk Deathwing, which was pretty much a first-person shooter style, this is going back to the more turn-based style of the original Space Hulk board game, but it is player versus player. So one person playing um, Marines, one person playing um, uh, Gene Stealers. So yeah. pretty seeing how that one turns out, really. So. Yeah, there was also a little bit of stuff announced at LVO about the Necromunda computer game. Oh, yep, yeah, that's right, they're doing that. Not too. a lot, I mean... But it is under Hive, though, so it's... It yeah, is it's, still... It's the new, it's the new it's, They're line. still plugging along. It's yeah. by the same guys who did the Maltime game. Which okay, which I, was very, very popular. Yeah. Which I still love. Yep. Even though it is insanely difficult. Yeah. And Orlocks. Orlocks are coming out now for um, <laughs> for Necromunda with, with Gang War Fit, with Gang War 2 as well, so... Nice-looking models, too, the Orlocks. Yeah. Good cultists or Imperial Guard, if you want a sort of slummy region. <laughs> I've sat here for so long with my with my um, box of Necromunda because I, I wanted an Escher Esch- game because I did Escher back in the old days. And when I actually sat there and read the rules, I realized, hold on a second, creating gangs for what's effectively the, the, the main box is different from creating gangs for gang more. Like, you know, so you can either play the two-dimensional game in the main box or you can play the three-dimensional game in gang war where you have sort of like the gangs developing their experience and skills over time. But they're two wholly different gang creation systems. Different points costs, different starting amounts. Different gear that they diff- can start Different with. gear, you know. And of course, you can't model... Like, not all the gear that you can get from the trading post, for example, is is uh, modelable in the figures. Because I really want to just build more models. But, you know, I'm thinking, like, I don't know I'm going to build it. I don't know which version I'm going to play. And then I started thinking, okay, I'm going to do Gang War, because that's the one I'm most likely to do in terms of development. But then I start reading about, you know, ideas on different people's takes on building the different factions and a lot of people seem to feel that they maybe hadn't play tested a lot of Necromunda before release because there were clearly some things that would like you would just never take this option because you know once again it comes out of the hole there are options you have to take because if you don't you're stupid and there's options you would never take because to take it it's stupid yeah. which is like not the what I think is the right way to do a balanced game you know, with a balanced game choices should matter not there's a good there's a right choice and a wrong choice yeah so yeah, I've just I've been at paralysis by analysis mode with Necromunda. I haven't built a single figure yet. <laughs> I might I might do what most people are doing these days and actually put all the legs and torsos together and paint those, and then do the arms. And then do the arms when you decide. Yeah, and hope that you don't do the shading too different that they look. Yeah, like exactly right. Yeah, well, thankfully all the all the um, Escher figures were pretty much wear like tank tops, so the arms are skin. Whereas uh, the, oh, I suppose they've got to make sure the skin of their arms matches the skin on their exposed midriff. And face yeah, and true. other parts. Yeah, that's yes. it. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put the heads on until I put the guns on because I want to make sure they're looking in a way which is appropriate to the pose with the gun as well. So yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, anyway, we're just getting into miniature painting now. We're not, we haven't, we haven't spoken role playing now for ages. We should be back into the role playing side. So let's close out the news section, and we'll start talking about the info drops from Ulysses. Yep. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. Let's look at uh, the design diary we got first from Ross for February, and it was something an extension of what was already discussed from his design diary in December regarding tiers of play. So if you recall back to the December design diary, he basically said there are five tiers of play in the game, where, for example, tier one is guardsmen, gangers, that sort of thing, uh, up to tier five, which is like the true movers and shakers, you know, primary space marines, etc. Uh, and the design diary we got this month sort of expanded a bit more on how the tiers interact together. So what he was basically saying is that uh, at the start of a campaign, I guess, of Wrath and Glory, the players and the GM will decide upon a tier level for the game. You know, so that the GM will say, look, I, I want to do, you know, we're going to be guardsman level games, so it's going to be tier one. Or I, 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 be... I just want to add in here. Yep. I find it funny that they say the players and the GM decide. <laughs> what happens if the GM says, okay, I've got this entire campaign worked out, we're all going to be starting at tier three, you're going to be space marines, you're going to be doing this thing, and then players will go, no. Nah. No, because... We want to play gangers. No, no, no. It's, a, it is, it's still a decision. The decision is, do you want to play the game I've written, or do you want to not play the game at all? That's a decision. You know, it's, a, it's a Hobson's choice. So. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Carry That's on. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so, but yeah, what happens, for example, if... Okay, the GM says, I want to do... In, in the example in the design, right? I want to do a tier three game. And one player says, oh, I was really hung up on I wanted to play a guardsman, you know, which yeah. is a, a tier one character. That's okay, because there is a system for that. Okay, there is ascension, basically. So the idea here is that um, they mentioned build points. So we can assume that uh, you know you get a certain number of points in each category, I guess, attribute, skill, etc., to build your character. And presumably in higher tier games, that number is higher. So you'll have more stats, more skills, etc., when you do a higher tier game. So it's beyond just saying, okay, you're a tier one character that has the same number of points to spend in each of your things as a tier three character, because it says you'll still have the wrong gear, for example, you know, you'll still have yeah. just, you'll still have your flashlight and your flak armor, and you're not going to have a hard time competing with those space marines also talking about at tier three. So it says in this example, so we've got this, this tier one guardsman who's going to go into a tier three game. So he buys something called an ascension package. Uh, and the one they gave the example of is called stay the course. Uh, and through that, he gains three things, uh, a keyword, so it mentions that the keyword we mentioned keywords before seem to be, I guess, like faction allegiances, and we we sort of didn't know what they might be. But in this example, they gave an example is Inquisition. So I'm going to assume that the things from keyword are similar to peers and enemies from Dark Heresy, for example. So it could be, yeah. I don't know, Adeptus Astartes, um, Chaos, and was there Chaos? Was there a Chaos? No, it was because Chaos Worshippers or something, wasn't it? it was oh, there, there were various Chaos ones. Yeah, okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so there might be those like sorts Chaos of Chaos Warlords or, or Chaos Legion or whatever. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, so you get, a, you get a keyword. Uh, you also then get either corruption or a memorable injury. Uh, so memorable injury is not capitalized, which makes me think it's not like a memorable injury rule, more like just a descriptive thing. Um... I don't know whether that would then have a mechanical change on the character for that, or it's just, you know, you've got to fill in how your character has been marked by their experiences. Uh, and then also some additional gear derived from the level of game that they're going into as such. So let's look at the example they gave. They say, okay, so tier one guardsman, 
um, is going to be playing in a Tier 3 game. So we buy Stay the Course. He gains the Inquisition keyword. It's in, in, indicate the fact he's been working with the Inquisition on hunting down rogue psychers. Yep. Um, he's gained a permanent twitch in one eye. So once again, I don't, that doesn't feel like something that have that much of a mechanical benefit, more of a descriptive element for the character. Yep. Uh, and he then starts a game with a plasma pistol and subdermal armor. Uh, and while he's not as powerful as a space marine, he's certainly been around the traps and can can play in a game with space marines. Oh, plasma pistol will still make a mess of a space marine if you shoot one. So yeah, that's true, yes. It puts him on, an e- on a semi-equal footing, at least weapon-wise, for damage output. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so pretty straightforward. I-, I thought it was interesting that... So we're going from a Tier 1 to a Tier 3, but he only buys one ascension package so whether or not they have different like levels like like is stay the course a two tier change or uh, yeah we, i don't know yet but that's uh, it's interesting that they chose to say okay he buys one to go from from rank one to rank three well yeah well, i guess we'll see how that I works in the we'll, game i guess we'll see when the game comes uh, out. i think some interesting things that you can also take away here which aren't necessarily discussed directly are the fact that corruption's still a thing yep which is good Yes. We've spoken about corruption systems before. Corruption, great system. Definitely very 40k. Yeah. Definitely required, so I'm glad they've kept it. Well, can I actually... Not going to say it's going to be the same, but... Yeah, finish your thought. I want to come back to corruption. Though. So, so what, so what else yeah. do you say um, we, we, we want to take away from this? The fact that they've mentioned how many tiers there are before. Yeah. And Space Marines are at tier 3, yeah. which makes you wonder what's tier 4, what's tier 5. Yeah. And are the tiers going to be based on physical ability or will social standing and that sort of ability also play into it. Yeah. So, you know. Well, the example did mention Space Marines, but we don't know whether it's like, is it Space Marine Scouts? Is it regular Space Marines? I think Primaris is going to be higher, but yeah, we don't know. So I, I could see that like Scouts being Tier 3, Marines Tier 4, Primaris Tier 5, or it could be something else. But yeah, that's, that's yeah, a yeah. possible one. We'll come back to the comic. The comic has the example of a Space Marine as well. But anyway, um... So I want to talk about corruption for a second. So here we're talking about a game system which is based upon interviews designed to work with other races as well. You know, yeah. like you know, the example we've seen includes so far orcs and Eldar, that's been mentioned. But let's assume that if we're not getting gaunts, we're still getting things like potentially necrons, tau, for example. Um, You're going to ask how does corruption work with other races? Well, that's the thing is like I've I've wondered that because. I've never really seen, and I, this literally, this literally changed for me today. Like I, I've, I've been, I've been reading a, another book from Forty K where I've literally seen the first impact of Eldar being corrupted by the war. But yeah, I've not seen a lot of material in stuff up until now, which really indicates the impact of warp corruption on Xenos species. It's not necessarily doesn't have to be just warp corruption though. Yeah, because orcs, which get a bit funny, yeah. end up becoming mad boys. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So corruption could be the the degrading of their genetic material or whatever to make them into crazies. Yeah. Um, necrons could be some sort of data corruption. We know that as necrons age, if they get destroyed a lot and they keep being rebuilt, over time they lose more and more of their personality until they just become unthinking robots. Yeah. That could be a form of corruption for them. It just because it's called corruption, just it's just the the catch-all term for whatever this degrading is of the race. It'd be interesting to know then whether their corruption system is built around the concept that at a certain point you're an unplayable character. I'd say looking at every other corruption system in any other (laughs) 
even any other game, even like Insanity in, in, in Call of Cthulhu, yeah. when it gets to a certain stage, you're out. Yeah. You know, and I think that, yeah, we're going to see that. Generally speaking, over time, you're going to lose your character yeah. if you keep getting corrupted <laughs> or crazy or whatever. I'm interested to see whether there's still going to be a sanity system oh, yeah, yeah. and a corruption system, or if they're going to combine the two into one thing. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see. But okay, all right, I'll, I'll get moving. Uh, all right. So then, this was further extended just today with the comic that was put out by Eagle Ordinary that shows the mechanic system. So, in this case, we've got a group which appears to be a Skatari Ranger, a Commissar, a Guardsman, and a Space Marine Scout. Yeah. So. Tier 2, Tier 3, hard to say, you know, um, but somewhere in that range, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and they give a couple of examples of how you would use a dice mechanic system to to resolve it. So first off, the you know, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes as well, but it's not really, we're talking about a two-page thing, we're not really going to give big spoilers. Um, so the first thing is that the Space Marine Scout wants to scout a path for the group to follow to get out of a snowstorm. And so the GM, which is Ross, and a, a, a nice representation of Ross that, that Kays has drawn as well, drawn as well um, tells them that, okay, it's a willpower and survival role. Okay, so we know that willpower is a stat and survival is a skill. Yeah. Uh, and of course, willpower is one of the sort of classic 40K stats as well, you know. So, um, and uh, so the person rolls their dice pool. There's a the GM sets a difficulty number, so we know that, you know, the GM will arbitrarily decide this is the difficulty number, of, you know, for this task as such, uh, which in this case it gives them a five. Uh, and then we already know that four to fives on a dice is one success. Six is called an exalted icon, and that's two successes. And the, the player achieves the five successes, so they, they, they then manage to find their way through. Uh, at this point, there's a quick discussion about the concept of failing forward. So this is the idea that... And this is not, not particularly this game. This is something that all role-playing games really... If they don't have, they should have which is that failure on a dice roll should never just stop the progress of the game. You know, it should never just be a case of, okay, well, because we failed this roll, that's it, we can't proceed. You know, the group should always be able to proceed, just that the result of the dice roll will indicate how... Extra difficulty, extra Yeah, how time. comfortably they do it, that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know? So in the example of trying to find their way through the snowstorm to get to this place, failing the roll would mean that, yeah, they still find it, but maybe they've taken some... Uh, well, it mentions shock or wounds. So, um, you know, that, that would indicate to me that, that shock and wounds are both resource pools that characters have that they can lose. I, I guess similar to, like, you know, other systems that fatigue have, like, a, like and, yeah, like fatigue. fatigue and wounds or yeah, stress. Stra- strain strain, strain. And, and wounds in, in, the, in the Star Wars system, for example. So, um, yeah, an example of failing forward there. Uh, okay, then they get to the second example role, which is the Skatari tech priest trying to open a, a locked door. It doesn't give in the example what the what the two derived stats are, but you know the, the guy does just roll his dice ball. In this case, he vastly succeed over over passes the roll, so he gets like seven total successes, so three sixes and a four or a five for a total of seven successes against a difficulty number of three. And so then it says, okay, well he can take those extra sixes. And shift them either for faster completion, more information, or higher quality of success. Now, it doesn't give an example in the example of play how those are used. It just says, okay, they're what they can be used for. And that's where it sort of ends off without saying, okay, what does he actually learn or do by using these, these points? But So we can see now that 
I think like we discussed previously about the mechanic here is that you can say, okay, well, um, it's not necessarily over succeeding, which is what's important. It's over succeeding with sixes. Yeah. That seems to give you your sort of over your, you know, extra excessive success bonuses and such. Yeah. So I think yeah, a few things we learned here from this comic. You know, it, it was good to see it as well. So um, yeah, it, it, it took me quite a surprise, like this after Designer Diary, to see this. Um, and you know, as, as we get closer to our speculated date of Free RPG Day, hoping to learn more. You know, in in, in June or whatever it was. But uh, yeah, so yeah, it was, it was a nice little bit of tidbit there. And so we, we're getting some more information on the game as it goes forward. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's all on the the Wrath and Glory side. Um, but uh, we'll move on to our a final bit of conversation. Okay. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. All right, Mike. The other day, I tried to explain the term rules lawyer to a muggle, to like a non-gamer. Yeah. Like when having a conversation about, you know, gaming and such. How would, how would you describe a rules lawyer? Someone who pours over a set of rules, yep. looking for loopholes, and dubious... I suppose, understandings of the rules. So to, to look at the rule as written rather than the spirit of intent. Yeah. Okay. And then to use that to gain some form of advantage over another person. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, some people, I think, would just use the term rules to describe someone who just knows the rules well. I and, mean, you know, know, knows the rules and follows them or at least insists that they be followed. There's but, nothing wrong with that so long as they're doing it across the board and they're not getting any special advantage out of it. Yeah, that's it. But I mean, but you, you've really hit the nail on the head in terms of what I want to talk about, you know, in terms of being, don't be that guy, which is the fact that, um, so I have been a gamer for a long time and anytime someone gives me a system, and I'm not just talking about a role-playing system here or a gaming system, you know, so, so I'll, I'll sit there at work and someone will say to me, hey, we want to do this marketing promotion. We want to, you know, we're going to give this, we're to, if, if the customers do this, we're going to give them this benefit. The first thing my mind does is say, okay, how can a customer exploit this system to get what they want from it without delivering us the goal that we're trying to get, which is to create more sales, you know, yeah. where, where they can just, you know, they, they report things incorrectly or do whatever, and they'll still win the prize, but we haven't actually grown our business at all. Uh, and I think that's a gaming thing to do as well, you know, but... Uh, and it's what I think rules lawyers do is they, they look at a system and they straight away can say, well, there are elements of this system where I can derive an outcome, which is not the intent of the system, but it gives me an advantage. And they're not afraid to then use that. So certainly I will look at a system and say, how can I break it? And that's not because when I play games, I try to break those systems, except maybe in the D and D campaign because everybody's doing that in the D and D campaign. Well, that's the point of the D and D campaign. That's why we picked three point five, so we could break. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, that, but that's the fun of the game. But I think yeah, in a normal game system, um, I would rather play a character which is limited by their own abilities and develops as the game goes on. You know, it's not not just play a character who has some mechanical, you know. MacGuffin, they just always do and, and always win. Uh, now, I'm going to step out of the role-playing world for a second just to sort of give you guys the context of why I wanted to have this conversation. So we mentioned earlier that the Las Vegas Open was on the last couple of weeks. And I think one of the sort of controversial points that came out of it that you can read about on various sites as well, like Bell of Lost Souls, was that in one of the, not the final game, but one of the sort of near-final games, like a semi-final, um, there was an incident where, um, so our player had taken a very long time to play their first turn because there is actually a time limit per game 
they should have for three hours. He'd taken about an hour to do his, his first turn and had received like time warnings during that turn. And apparently at the start of the game, the two players had met and agreed, we're going to be playing the intent of the rules here. You know, like it, 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 that being said, we don't need to measure exactly every single fraction of an inch. We know that if a unit deep strikes, they're about nine inches away. So a roll of nine will get them into close combat. You don't need to measure the distance they've landed and measure the, measure the distance they've run. Um, and they'd agreed to that. And so then it came to the second player's turn and, and straight away, um, the first player apparently um, was putting some time pressure on that player. And that player started their movement turn by putting down one of their reserve units. And if you're not familiar with the 8th edition rules, um, reserves enter the battle at the end of the movement phase. Now, yep, certainly there are mechanical benefits you could derive if you were able to bring your reserves in first and then move. You know, you don't know how far certain units are going to advance. You don't know what areas of the board will be blocked off by advancing units, for example. Um, But I think that most people felt that it would have been okay for that player to either remove those figures and then do the rest of his turn or just done the rest of his movement phase. But the the first turn player basically called him out and said, nope, you've you've put figures down. That's the end of the movement phase. You can't move any of your troops. And that guy was playing... So the, the guy that lost his movement phase was playing a Space Wolf army, a very assault-driven army, had effectively lost his entire first turn um, because he couldn't really get any of his key troops into, into, into position. All the ones he deep, had deep strike were now out in the open. And he pretty much, like... He, he, he went to concede the game on the spot, but then he agreed to play out the game because it's being... Well, not televised, but streamed and, you know... I'm not going to let it get me down I'll just play through the game uh, so I, I, I found it interesting to read the the backlash and the feedback that came from this because there were certainly a group of players out there who were like no that first guy who called him out and was being a dick you know it wasn't it was clear what the intent was they'd agreed to play to intent um, you know he could have just asked him to take back the move whatever but he specifically forced him to lose his turn what a jerk etc etc um, and there were players that were saying, look, you know, this is as close as it comes to professional gaming in the 40k universe. There's cash prizes. You know, this is a high-level tournament. It's, a, it's the semi-final round. The guy should know his rules and follow them. You know, if he messes up and his opponent calls him out on it, too bad. You know, and, and good on him for still going on and playing and not making a, a fuss about it. But certainly, you know, that's your own fault, mate. Uh, and... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I sort of agree with both sides. I, I think normally I would err on the side of sportsmanship, um, you know, excepting that I know what a person intended to do. But, I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about it, Mike? Especially given that there was multiple thousand dollars on the line. Yeah. I, I found it was $4,000 was the prize for the LVO in the end. So, I mean, what do you think? Well, okay. Well, first of all, I liken what he did yep. to touch move in chess. Yep. If, if you're a chess player, you know what touch move is. Yep. At the start of the game, you state whether you guys are using touch move or not, which is when you touch a piece and you start to move it, yep. that's it. It's moved. Okay. Yep. When you put it down, that's it. There's no taking the move back. No, no takes his backsies? No. no <laughs> that, that's it. It's done. Yep. And essentially, by saying we are playing to the spirit of the game rather than the as written, must be done, everything in perfect procedure, we are playing to the spirit of the game. They had stated at the beginning, we are not doing touch move. Yeah. 
that that is the statement there when he said that. He said we are playing to the spirit of the game. The guy does something which is out of order. And then if you're playing to the spirit of the game, you say, no, take it back. You're going to have to wait. Yeah. You know, do the rest of your move first. Or or you say to them, are you sure you want to do that? Because that's something you have to do at the end of, you know, at the end of your turn. Yeah. Um, If, however, he started putting down multiple units which were dropping in after you've said that and he still keeps doing it, that's his own fault. Yeah. It's the same as... You go through the movement phase and you forget to advance one unit and you're halfway into the shooting phase and you go, oh, I forgot to advance that move- unit. Can I move it now? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I- I- I'm sorry, but we've gone past that stage by, you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever it could be. Yeah. Bad luck. Bad luck. Because otherwise you start getting into the situation of did I advance that unit or didn't I? Have I advanced that unit what else, twice? What, what else would it have changed? If I what else would it have changed? Yeah. No, no. Sorry. When you m- make that decision that we're playing it to the spirit of the game, you play to the spirit of the game. Yeah. As soon as the person started doing anything which suggests they're not playing to the spirit of the game, stop playing to the spirit of the game as well. Yeah. Okay? They've made that decision that they want to be, as some people are saying, a dick about it. Yeah. Be just as much of a dick back if that's what they want to do. Yeah, There's nothing you can do about it. So, so the end result was that the the player who called him out won the game, went on to the final round, made the same agreement with the player in the final round about playing to intent. Then towards the end of the game, he went to use a stratagem card to have one of his units who had advanced charge. The stratagem didn't do that. But it was pointed out to him that the card said you had to actually play the card during the movement phase, and he was playing it during the assault phase. And he's sort of like, oh, come on, mate, you know, I would have played it if I realised I didn't read that part of the card. And well, you should have read the card. And the other guy was like, look, normally I'd let it go, but after what you did that other guy, no, I'm not letting you have this. And as I said, the game, he, he lost the game by one point in the end. Yeah. You know, and that one point could have been in that, in that, one, in that one sort of, that one move. You reap what um, you sow. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, and, and look, I, I read an interesting article about this by someone who knew both of the players involved. And that person said, look, you know, they're not jerks. Neither of them are jerks. They're both good guys. And in fact, this other guy has come back now and said, look, I realize that what I did might not have been, you know, the best for the, the game. And if there's something I can do to fix it, I will. And in actuality, um, I don't know the guy's name, but one of the owners of League of Legends was a spectator and actually contributed $5,000 to the guy that lost the semi-final round for, for good sportsmanship, which he then went and donated to children's hospital charities as well. So... You know, it just showed good people working to fix the problems in the game altogether overall. Yeah. But I think that... So there are three reasons why I think people go to tournaments. Now, I don't go to tournaments, so I'm, I'm speculating here. But I think there's three reasons why you go to a tournament, okay? One would be, I just want to have fun. You know, I, want, I just want to play the game. I Chatting with the guy that runs the local GW store when he went to CanCon recently, he said, I lost Friday five games. I had a great time. I played Warhammer. I drank beer. I chatted with friends. You know, it was a fantastic weekend. Would love to do it again. I want to do it again next year. I'm planning for next year's event, you know. Yeah. Second reason is I want to get better at my game. I want to play tough players. I want to see how I do against the best that are out there. If I lose, so what? You know, I was beaten by the best. Um, You know, I just want to see how far I can go in the tournament. And third is I want to win. You know, there's a prize. I want that sweet prize. You know, I want that money. I I want the glory of being the best. (laughs) That's it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
and I think that different people are going to get different things out of that experience because of those sort of those key drivers. Uh, and I think that it comes. You can take that same parallel into um, the the role playing space as well. I know role players who play to win. You know, they play to demonstrate that their character is better than everybody else's character. I've made the better character here. That sort of thing. Uh, and so we spoke about our, our friend before who doesn't listen to the show, who you know belittles things he doesn't like that sort of stuff. Um, you know, he would he would regularly make statements about how. You should never play any character other than a wizard in 3rd D and D because wizards are the only good class. So I always play wizards. You know, no other spellcasting class is anywhere near as powerful as a wizard. Um, now we were playing in a campaign once with that guy of 3rd D and D, and I specifically went and made a sorcerer, and I exploited every single loophole I could just to show him I could make a sorcerer that kicked the ass of his wizard. Not because I wanted to be a jerk and, make, and hold it over the DM and make it run for everyone else. I just wanted to show him up. I wanted to tell him, no, you're wrong. There's, you know, I, 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 there's always someone, there's always something that can be done better as such. And, yeah. and you can't just make a blanket statement like, yeah, there's only one right option. Um, Especially so, something like third yeah. d That's it. But, that, yeah. but that, was a, that was a special circumstance. That was me trying to knock a person off his, off his high horse. Uh, but normally... Did it, it say, work? <laughs> Um, well, he still says the wizard's the best class ever, you know. <laughs> Even though it's not, yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, but I think that, yeah, there are certainly going to be people in role-playing groups that uh, treat it as a adversarial us versus the GM. I mean, there are GMs that treat it as adversarial, like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kill the PCs. You know, and, and that's not the intent of role-playing. You know, the, the intent of role-playing is we're all working together to have a fun, collaborative, narrative experience, I believe, anyway. Yeah. You know, it's, it, but it, look, Anyone that runs Tomb of Horrors is clearly in the. It's my job to screw you guys over type mentality, okay? Or, and, and some players, like pe- people that say, "Hey, let's go and play Tomb of Horrors," are like, "It's a challenge. I want to beat it. You know, th- this game is trying to kill me, and I want to beat this game." Um, I guess that's that's another that's another way of playing the game. But I mean, I I play in role playing games when I do because I want to see the storyline. Yeah. I want to see the character develop it uh, develop, and I want to see what the outcomes are of playing through this adventure as such. I don't want to say, can I survive this this next pit of death traps as such? Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's like when I, when I play computer games, I'm the sort of person that, you know, if there's an option that says you can play easy mode to see the storyline without too much challenge, I'm like, yeah, I want to see the storyline. You know, once I finish the game, you know, I might go play it through at a high degree to see if I can. But I, How I, often do you go back and play it again? Uh, high difficulty? The, the, there's, there's certain, the games like Mass Effect, for example, which I really got into, I'll, I'll go back and play those at high difficulty. But at the end of the day, I don't want to have my experience of getting through the storyline gated by the fact that I can't get past this hard level. Yeah. You know, my, my, my enjoyment is not the accomplishment of, oh, I beat that really hard level. It's, oh, I, I, I played through this really awesome story. Yeah, it depends. Some people are after seeing the storyline of the game. Other people are after defeating something that's really challenging. And other people are after earning those little achievement badges that pop up at the bottom yeah, of the screen. That's right. And the thing is that... In a, there's nothing wrong with any of those three things. And in a computer game... That's an individual experience, yeah. you know, what you choose to do there. But in a role-playing game, you're in a group of people. And you're affecting the play of other people. And we mentioned rules laws before. And if you are a person who likes to read the rules and know all the rules, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying, no, you're doing that wrong. But if the GM says, well, I don't care, this is a special case scenario, just roll with it. Yeah. Because I have been in games where someone has said, are oh, you doing that rule wrong? And the GM said, well, this is a special case scenario. It's not working like that. And the 
player has gone absolutely nuts over it and yeah. quit the game because how dare the GM adjust the way the rules work. Yeah, I, I, I can't deal with this because I came into the situation knowing the variables and now you change the variables and I can't deal with that as such. And I, I've, I've encountered that exact same circumstance in games before. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, the only person that loses out there is the person that leaves. Yes. Yeah. If, if, that's, if that's where they're going to be, the, the, the game and the group is probably better off without them as such. Um, so I guess if you think you are the sort of person who does like to sort of, you know, utilize the rules, anticipate the fact that the in order to create challenges, sometimes the GM may have bend the rules, yeah. create circumstances that you can't plan for in order to keep the game fun and challenging and make sure that your character isn't just going to go and hold everything over all the other cards because they are clearly the best option out there as such. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, play to your group. I mean, some groups, like I said, our D&D campaign is built around a whole bunch of broken characters. That's fine. We accept that. And, you know, we're doing challenge levels so much higher than we, than we yeah. should be doing yeah. to the point that literally the GM at one point did an encounter where we shouldn't have got XP because the encounter should have been impossible, but we still beat it, you know, so... <laughs> Without breaking a sweat. I don't think anyone yeah, even got exactly. knocked out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right, yeah. That's just the way it was. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's the nature of that game. Under normal circumstances, yeah, yeah, don't be that guy. Don't be the person who, you know, looks for the way to exploit the rules and makes it unfun for everybody else. Um, you know, it, it's 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 like we've spoken about about cheating. You know, it's almost like cheating. You're not you're not cheating, but you are cheating yourself and you're cheating your friends. Yeah, you're not breaking the rules. You're just breaking the intent. I remember from the old cyberpunk GM guide. Yeah, um, going way back now. There's there's actually a specific bit which talks about this sort of thing, and it talks about a character who's a medic, who's cyborged up to the gills and wearing power armor. Yeah. But all they do is they go into really dangerous situations and they drag the other characters out and they heal them. Yeah. And the question is, is that actually broken? Because they're not pushing the game forward. They're not massacring the enemies. They're, all they're doing is making it so the characters can continue to progress. Yeah. And the suggestion it gives is that, you know what? If it still works in the game, let them do it. Yeah. So long as it's not taking away the shine from anyone else, so long as it's not breaking the game too much or making things impossible for you as the GM to run. So if you do have a player who's a bit broken like that, as the GM, sort of expect that they're going to do that sort of thing and be prepared for it as well. Look, actually look at their character and see the things that their character can't deal with. Remind me after the show to talk to you about how that other player we've been speaking about how he runs Cyberpunk. I think you'll find it quite amusing. Oh dear! But it's more for you. It's not really. It's not going to matter much to the rest of the listeners anyway. So okay. just remind me. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think we've covered it off. You know, just a, bit, just a bit of stuff I saw in the week. I thought was interesting to chat about because we don't have enough sort of open conversations about gaming anymore. So yeah. I thought it was a nice topic to discuss. Though in the next episode, I believe we're talking about uh, Harlock. Yeah, we'll mention that in just a moment. Let's let's get into hit yourself, Mike. Come on. Okay, let's move on to the uh, the final section so we can talk about what we're doing next episode. Okay. All astropaths to the choir chamber. Message incoming. So at this point in the show, we talk about uh, any sort of feedback we've had during the last uh, last bit of time, and we've had no feedback in the recent. Oh, only just a bit of chatting on Facebook. No, nothing to really sort of bring up to chat about. But uh, we have sort of compiled some requests we've had, and that's going to influence our our next show. So. Uh, what we are planning for episode 93, hopefully, it depends upon the timing, it'll, it'll be an episode in the near future, is that along with covering the stuff to do with uh, Wrath and Glory, we've had a lot of players you know, point out the fact that we've spoken many times about 
the Harlock trilogy in the past, our experiences with it. We did review the books, but um, to talk more about how our actual game went and what we learned from it and how we'd do it differently in the future. What we changed from the books. Exactly right, yeah. So we're going to invite along um, probably two of the players who played in the trilogy. Uh, one, of the, one of those players actually played the trilogy twice, once with our group, once with a different group as well. Um, so she'll give her sort of uh, experiences on, on, on the game, as will the other player. The other player I haven't actually asked yet, and he's not very sort of um, uh, comfortable about, about speaking to crowds, so I'll see how he goes on the podcast. But uh, yeah, the, the plan is we'd like to, episode in the near future, invite along two of our old players and actually do something of a, of a breakdown of the various parts of the Harlot Trilogy and how, how we enjoyed it and what we experienced and what we do differently. And maybe we can also talk about how it would adapt into what we know of Wrath and Glory, or that might be a future topic once Wrath and Glory is actually released to discuss that. But, yep, um, yep. Yeah, so that, that's something we'd like to do. Uh, if you have uh, comments for the show, anything else that you'd like us to discuss or any, anything you'd like to suggest to us, then please contact us. Our website is www.grim.podcast.com. I will point out again, there is no point in creating an account on the site that lets you go and create a user account. There is no forums, nothing to do there. I've had a, a half dozen new accounts applied for in the last month. You know, I just reject them all because we don't have a sort of service that you can log into and, and do things on. Um, that's on top you, of the... you, you should just put in a, a simple HTML-based snake game that they can play. <laughs> that's it. They just log um, in to play snake. And that, 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 that's, sort of like, that's like a few actual login requests on top of the hundred or so bots we get requesting trying to, trying to create an account as well. Um, anyway, but yeah, that's our website. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plusslinegrimdartpodcast. Uh, we tweet through at grimdartpodcast, and I will point out that I've been a little bit more active on Twitter recently. I saw that um, Sam Stewart from FFG had actually played a game of 40k recently with his Imperial Garden. He posted a really nice photograph where he's taken Predator turrets and put them onto a Chimera base, and it looks awesome. I commented on it and I included it in our wall as well, so I mean, check that out. So if you follow Sam's feed, it's a nice picture. Um, you can email us show at grimdartpodcast.com and our voicemail link is still working on our website we're still paying for it I, I pay you I know, thought you stopped paying for I, it I said I will stop paying for it next time but I think it renewed in like October ah. so you know <laughs> if I get if I get one voicemail between now and October I will renew it again You know, even though it's like 180 bucks a year or something ah don't bother so, anyway <laughs> uh, so yeah um, that's the show hope you enjoyed it I hope that it's a better quality than previous shows where we've made sure that we had everything ready to go and uh, some notes and, and no kids to bother us and uh, and we're almost guaranteed to have another show out before the end of February because I go away in March we should uh, sorry, and I go away in April yes so <laughs> we definitely want to so we, we actually have a time limit to get our next show out so expect to see hear from us again soon okay no worries yeah. and we uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon Mike thanks once again thank you very much and we will catch you next time this podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Ulysses North America. Or on the 40,000, Wrath and Glory, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Ulysses North America is a trademark of Ulysses Median and Spiel Distribution GmbH. All other materials are trademarks of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grim Dark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music was composed by Jens Kostopper and is used for the last year.